Take your Bibles tonight. Let's go to Joshua. We'll be in Joshua chapter 5 and 6 tonight. Leading up to our 40th anniversary celebration, I started a series where we made application of the children of Israel crossing over the Jordan and into Canaan's land. I'm not sure how much longer we'll continue to look at this thought, but I'm not ready to leave quite yet. And the last time we met together on this topic, it would have been a good place to probably tie a ribbon over it where they had to be circumcised, all the males, once they crossed to the west side of the Jordan and before they partook of the Passover. And all of that was a reminder of just what all of this is about. It's about God. He's the one that gave the promise. It wasn't by their wisdom and their strength that they arrived to that place 40 years later as God had said was going to happen. And so all of that was to remind them it's, it's not you, but it's God. And that's what we need to remember. None of this tonight is about us, but it is all about God. And in addition, for them to observe the Passover, they had to be circumcised. They had to get some things right with God first. And I think as God's children, there are many times that we just need to kind of go back to basics. Not get caught up in all of this other uh, debate and all of these other things that make for great apologetics. But we need to get right down to the basics of things and just remember that all of this is about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so after they observed the Passover, the manna ceased. And God said, now it's time for this generation to go get a different kind of food, a provision from God in the land that He had prepared for them, the fruit of the land. And now that we've crossed over 40 years as a church, it's time for us to go gather in what God has called our generation to go get. That's not to begrudge the previous 40 years. That's not to say that they did something wrong. Both provisions were of God. But that is to say that God has something special for every generation. I thank God for that. Let's begin tonight by reading chapter 5, verse 13, through chapter 6 in verse 5. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? The captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. And ye shall compass the city all ye men of war, and go round about the city once, thus shalt thou do six days. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns, 
And the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times, and the priest shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horns, and when ye hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout. And the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. Let's remember tonight that chapter divisions and verses were placed there by man. When um, the, the writer was inspired to write this, God didn't, the Holy Spirit didn't say, okay, verse 4. It was placed there to help us uh, find verses to uh, have some logical flow to it. But in my humble opinion, sometimes those are not placed in the best locations. And I believe this is one of those cases. I personally believe you can take this for what it's worth, but I think chapter 6 really ought to begin with chapter 5, verse 13. A lot of people, they, they get perplexed at the end of verse five, or chapter 5 because nothing really happens. This man shows up, and yet nothing really comes of it from chapter 5. And chapter 6 is actually a continuation of what is taking place at the end of chapter 5. And when we understand that, this makes a lot more sense on why this man has showed up and what exactly is being said. And so just keep that in mind as we're going through this. In verse 13 of chapter 5, we find Joshua by Jericho. And I, I realize it can be dangerous to look into things a little too much, to assume too much. But I try to put my place in the position of Joshua here. What would it have been like to be in his shoes? Joshua was a man of war. And after only a few months of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, they came to a place called Rephidim. And there Amalek came out to fight against Israel. And it was Joshua who led Israel to battle against Amalek. That was the account where Moses' hands had to be raised in order for Israel to prevail. Just to give you a context of what that's, when that was. And so it's Joshua who led Israel to battle. It was Joshua along with Caleb who were ready to go into the land and fight the inhabitants after they spied out the land. In fact, they said, uh, the Lord is with us. Fear them not. And now here he is as the general of Israel and he's eyeing Jericho. And I would think as a man of war who has the great responsibility to lead Israel's fighting men into battle, he's wondering what's the best approach to attack this fortified city. It had a great wall around it. None were coming in and none were going out and many believed this city was impregnable. He understands that it's God's will. He knows that God has led him to this point. He knows that this is where God set the cross. He knows that Jericho is to be taken. But sometimes knowing those things, it's still difficult to execute. There's things we understand mentally. He knows it's God's will for him to go to war. But it doesn't lessen his need to survey the land to see if there's 
uh, a best way to approach it. And, and just put yourself in Joshua's shoes as he's there looking at the city, trying to figure out how it is that God wants him to approach this city. You ever knew you were going to go to battle spiritually? You know that God is for you, but you really don't know the best way ahead. Many of us have been there. We, we understand that God fights for us, and yet we, we look at the situation and we don't understand how in the world this is ever going to work out. There's nervousness in those times. Because even though we understand all of what, what we read in the Bible on those verses about the Lord fighting for us, and it, it's still uncomfortable, especially when our decision is going to affect other people's lives. Amen. And as a man who's going to lead men into war, you can better believe this next move is on his mind. What is the best way to do this? I can't say for certain, but when we read in verse 13 that Joshua lifted up his eyes, uh, well, first of all, that means they were downward. Love how I studied for that? Amen. Hey, this is free. And so they were downward, and either he's looking down um, from some high ground toward the city, or perhaps, and, and rather I'd like to think, he's looking downward because he's in deep thought. He, he, he's probably meditating. Uh, he's, he's probably very concerned about what the right move is going to be in trying to take this city. And perhaps he's praying to God. Perhaps he's seeking God's help. Lord, how would you have us to go up? Lord, I don't want to make the wrong move. And I don't know how to take this city, which is completely fortified. It seems to be the case because in verse 1 of chapter 6, it says Jericho was straightly shut up. There, there is no way in. There is no way out. And as a military man trying to figure this out, he doesn't know exactly what to do. And by the way, Jericho was a double-walled city. Archaeologists have, have told us that uh, at the base of Jericho, there was a retaining wall that went up 12 to 15 feet. So just kind of picture all this, this retaining wall of stone. And then on top of that wall was a wall six feet thick that uh, went upward 20 to 26 feet. And then there was an earthen embankment that sloped upward to another wall that was six feet thick, 20 to 26 feet high. Do you see how difficult of a task this is? We sometimes read this and just think, oh yeah, they just walked around the city, blew the trumpet, shouted, and everybody just went. There was a lot more that's going on. This city, uh, if I understand all this correctly, when you're standing at the retaining wall, that's what they would have walked around. When you're standing at that wall and you're looking upward, just to the top of the retaining wall in that first wall, you're looking up 32 to 41 feet. It ain't like they got catapults. I mean, you understand what I'm saying strategically here? And then as you keep looking upward, 
um, the, the base of that upper wall was 46 feet from uh, the bottom of the retaining wall. And so as you look up, if you kind of put all this together, if I understand this right, from the ground level looking up, you would have been looking up a 57 to 69 feet before you could even enter the city. It seems impossible. Do you think Joshua was seeking for an answer on how best to proceed? Boy, I do. No doubt Joshua is trying to find the best military maneuver possible that will enable him to penetrate this fortified city. And I don't think that it would be out of line to suggest tonight that Joshua has absolutely no clue on how to defeat Jericho at this point. <laughs> Lord, I know you called me to it. I know it's your will that I'm right here, but I have no idea how to go any further. The lives of his men are in his hands. A wrong move would be absolutely disastrous. The heart of the people would melt. Can you imagine after crossing over the Jordan River and you bungle that first battle and you lose it? Can you just kind of sense the stress that Joshua is under here? We cannot say for sure what was going on in his mind or why his eyes were downward, but as he lifts up his eyes, he notices a man over against him with a sword drawn, and that's a posture ready for war. And he asks the man, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? I find it amazing that Joshua is not spooked. If you've ever been in deep thought and somebody comes up next to you and asks you something, it can be startling. But to look up and see a man after being in deep thought that has a sword drawn in your direction, yeah, he's not spooked at all. Uh, and I can't help but remember back there in chapter 1, what did God tell Joshua to do? Be strong and of a good courage. And it appears that that's exactly what Joshua was doing. And he goes up to this man, are you for us or are you, or are you against us? I would say that what God commands us to do, He enables us to do. Amen? He said, be strong and of a good courage. Joshua's exercising that. In verse 14, this one standing there replies to Joshua's questioning. Uh, Joshua says, are you for us? Are you for our adversaries? And he says, no. But as captain of the host of the Lord, am I now come? Some people ask two questions, but they only get a one-word answer in return. Uh, some things irritate me to no end. Adrian does this to me all the time. I'll try to think of something stupid. So are we going to take the Jeep or take the expedition? And I'll say, yes. If you want an answer, give me one question. And so some people ask two questions, and when you're a jerk like me, you give one-word answers which really don't help the situation because she's asking two questions. And it seems uh, Joshua does the same thing here. He asks two questions, and I'm just being like the Lord who gives a one-word answer. I'm trying to justify it, all right? He asks two questions. Are you for us or against us? The answer, no. Is he saying, I'm neither for you nor against you? 
Or is he saying, no, I'm not for you? Or is he saying, no, I'm not your adversary? Well, what he says immediately following no was enough to convince Joshua of the actual answer met because he doesn't ask for clarification. This, this man says, nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And immediately Joshua falls upon his face and worships. And by the way, that's true biblical worship. This is why I don't advertise on our website our Sunday worship service. Nobody in here typically falls upon their face during a service. But that's what worship is. Amen. And so this idea of, let me just, <laughs> I'm going to get on my hobby horse. Uh, so we're going to have praise and worship. No, you're not. You're going to have praise. Because worship, biblically, is falling on your face before God. And here Joshua, he, he worships this, this one that has showed up. And, and he bows down before him with his face to the ground. What saith my Lord unto his servant? You see, Joshua knew what was meant by the phrase, Captain of the host of the Lord. This word, Captain, meant whoever this man was... He was in charge of the Lord's host. If Joshua was the general, then this man was generalissimo. I've been waiting so long to use that term. Amen. And the phrase, the host of the Lord, can refer to God's people. And it can refer to the angelic host. For example, in Exodus chapter 12, verses 40 and 41... Now the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of 430 uh, years, even the selfsame day it came to pass, that all the host of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. And so there it's talking about God's people. In Genesis 32, verses 1 and 2, And Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's host. Talking about the angels. And and it can refer to both people and angels grouped together. And so by that phrase, captain of the host of the Lord, Joshua understands that this man is in far greater position than Joshua is. Joshua may have been the earthly leader of Israel, but this man is the heavenly leader. And the highest earthly offices on this earth would do well to remember that there is somebody above them. Most people would say the President of the United States is the most powerful position on the face of the earth. And if that's true, humanly speaking, then our President needs to remember that there is one who sits on a throne above him. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and we are nothing more than his footstool. Could you imagine... If all of America's political leaders, military leaders, church leaders would fall on their face before God and get His direction. So who is this man? Well, I'm amazed that there's some debate on this because the text actually tells us. We see that Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped him. And this in of itself does not tell us who this is because man will worship just about anything or anyone. What's telling is that this man 
does not tell Joshua to get up. John, in the Revelation, he fell down at the angel's feet a couple of times, and he was told by the angel, don't do it. In Revelation 22, verses 8 and 9, And I, John, saw these things and heard them, and when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See thou do it not. For I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which, kept, which keep the sayings of this book. Worship God. And so had this captain of the Lord's host merely been an angel, he would not have accepted the worship of Joshua. So this appearance then must be someone who is greater than the angels. Well, now we're really narrowing this down. Because that only really leaves one other viable option, and that's God himself. The fancy term for this kind of appearance is called a Christophany, which is a way of saying uh, it's, it's a, an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ, uh, whether in the Old Testament, and uh, some people say a Christophany might be even after he had uh, ascended to heaven, like when he appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus. But regardless of that, um, we, we have here, we know this is God because verse 2 of chapter 6, And the Lord said unto Joshua. We have it very plainly there that the Lord Jehovah is the one speaking to Joshua. We also know this is the Lord because in verse 15 of chapter 5, the captain of the Lord host commands Joshua to loose his shoes uh, from off thy foot from the place where, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. Now, if that sounds familiar, that's exactly what the voice from the burning bush told to, uh, Moses when God was speaking to him there. He said, take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. Only God makes the ground he walks upon holy. People may worship the ground people walk on. But only God actually has the power and the holiness to make where he is at holy. Let, let, me, let me word it this way. Because God is holy where He is at, it's always holy where He is. He is holy. And He says here, Take off your shoes, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. It wasn't holy just a few moments earlier. You understand what I'm saying? And now it is because this, uh, this one has showed up. God Himself has showed up. Now, Let's get to the meat of this. Let's consider what the Lord has to say to Joshua in chapter 6. Look at verse 2. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. Remember that it appears Joshua was seeking for a way to go to battle against Jericho. And it could be um, that he doesn't see a way. He doesn't see how it's possible and with his eyes downward and, and with his mind engaged in the moment of how to take this city, it could be he's praying and he's asking God to show him a way ahead and lo and behold, who shows up but God himself. And these phrases, the captain of the host of the Lord in verse 14, the captain of the Lord's host in verse 15, these are military terms. It's a military term for two reasons. One, because a captain. The other, because of host. A host is an army. When the armies of Egypt were drowned in the Red Sea, we read that it was Pharaoh and his host. 
his army. And if you need military strategy, and if you need military plan of attack, then you better go to the one uh, who knows battle himself, the Lord. Amen. And I love, listen, I want you to get this. I love how God can be everything to us, everything we need. When we need him to be our peace, he's our peace. When we need somebody to help us in battle, he's our warrior. Don't you love how God is everything to you when you need him? You get in a, in a, in a valley and you get depressed and God becomes your joy. Amen. He shows up. You get up there and, and now all of a sudden you're in the trenches and you've got to fight battle and you don't see a way ahead. Then God, the man of war, shows up. God is everything to us. Exodus 15, 3 says, The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Psalm 24, 8 says, Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. And at this time, Joshua didn't need a comforter. He goes over to this man. He's ready to fight. This isn't the time to be embraced. This isn't the time to be coddled. But this man needs to hear from God on the best way ahead. And who shows up but the man of war himself. The Lord mighty in battle. And I want to tell you tonight what a relief it is when we know that there is somebody above us who's making all the shots, calling all the shots. It removes all the pressure. It removes all the stress. All the decision making. And I don't know why some wives are so desirous to lead their homes. But God didn't mean for you to have that burden. Y'all might as well say amen like the independent Baptist. Or else we can just park it right there. But there's so many women trying to lead the home. And God said that's not for you to have. And I want to tell you ladies it is so much easier when you just let the man have all the responsibility because he's the one you can then point the finger to and say, you're the one that got us in this mess. Amen. There were some occasions in my military career when a difficult decision had to be made. And it sure was nice when one of the higher-ups said, this is what you're going to do. Yes, sir. Because if it goes wrong, it's your fault. You military guys know what I'm talking about. When somebody else makes the decision, when somebody else has all the responsibility, the success or failure of that decision is upon them. It's kind of like when I used to sit out there every Sunday. Those were good times. The pastor would mention a situation and I would just be like, not my problem. Amen. But I can't do that any longer. People like the idea of leading when all is going well, but not when things get very difficult. Can you imagine having the responsibility of leading Israel's sons into battle against a highly fortified city like Jericho? Think of the stress that would have been upon Joshua. Here's Israel. They go from one insurmountable obstacle to another. And sometimes it seems like it never stops. Isn't that right? Here God says, I want you to cross over. How in the world are we going to cross over? It's the time of harvest. We can't get over this river. God says, I'll make a way. Joshua, I want you to take Jericho. 
God, I don't see how in the world we're going to take this fortified city. But let's remember that this is where God led them to. It was God who led them to cross over against Jericho. It was God who chose for them to go against Jericho at this time. It was God who chose Jericho first. Therefore, it was God who would ultimately have to give them away. It was God who got them through the Jordan River upon dry ground. And it's going to have to be God who's going to show them how to defeat Jericho. And I'm just saying tonight, if you're in a difficult situation but you know God has led you there, then you must trust on God to deliver you. Go to Him in prayer. Wait for Him to show up. Now, but we don't like to wait. The success or failure in your situation in that particular scenario, it's not up to you. But it's up to God who led you to that battle. Does everybody understand what I'm talking about tonight? We're not talking military battle. I'm talking the spiritual battles in your life when you are under attack. I, I can tell you there are times it's because I'm a knucklehead and I'm stupid that I got into a battle. But there are also other times where I know I was in step with God and it brought me face to face with something that I really didn't want to have to deal with into a battle. And at those times we have to say, God, you're the one that led me here. You're going to have to get me through it. And I'll tell you this, God doesn't mind that kind of a challenge. He's not in the least bit stressed out. He wants us to learn to trust Him wholly. What God leads us to, He's able to lead us through. And for our church, I would say to us, it is God who has brought us these 40 years. And it will be God who will have to take us another 40. All we have to do is keep our eyes upon God, listen to Him. But listen now, follow exactly what he has said. And I want you to understand, it's not that God does everything. It's not that we, we come to a battle and we just uh, pray about it, God gives direction, and we just sit back and wait for God to do everything. There's still something that we're going to have to do. David still had to go out to face Goliath. There, there, there is what God, the way God has orchestrated this, God says, I'm going to do my part, but then there's something I expect you to do. And it's not that God can't do it all. He could. But He wants us to have faith in Him. Because faith, faith without works is dead being alone. And so the Lord, mighty in battle, shows up here when Joshua is at a loss of what to do. Notice the Lord's direction in verses 3 through 5. And ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times. And the priests shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horns, and when ye hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. What kind of battle plan is that? 
Come on. Joshua knows how to go to war. (laughs) How in the world is this going to work? You mean to tell me if we walk around the city once a day for six days, and then on the seventh day we walk around it seven times, and we blow trumpets, and then we shout with a great shout, the walls are going to fall and we're going to take the city. Now, I know we know the account, and therefore you may not be appreciating the audacity of this command. But imagine you're standing there before you've actually ever even went to battle. Great plan, God. You know, that's exactly what I was thinking. Well, the Lord told Joshua. Joshua told the priest. Joshua told the people. And they all obeyed. Can you imagine the trust that the people had to have in Joshua that he had heard from God with a plan like this? I'm not sure I can communicate how desperately I desire your prayers. That God will give me clearly the proper way ahead as we go forward. Because if you're going to trust any, anybody, but if you're going to trust your pastor, you're going to have to believe that I've heard from God. I don't, I mean, I kind of look at this plan and I, you know, hey, Ethel, do you really think this makes sense? I mean, do you really, do you think Joshua's gone nuts? This really, I'm, I'm going to follow this guy into battle? What God is calling Israel to do is to trust in God. They're going to have to walk by faith for this unusual plan to work. God has given us His battle plan in His Word. We have the Holy Bible. And all we have to do is follow what this book says. But so many lose faith in God's plan. God tells us to trust in Him with all of our heart and to lean not unto our own understanding, but to acknowledge Him in all of our ways and He will direct our paths. But we want immediate remedies. We want answers right now. And so we scheme and we plan and we execute our plan instead of waiting upon God. God says not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. But people really don't trust God's plan so they do their own thing instead. God says honor me with the first fruits of thine increase. He expects your tithes. He expects your offerings. But people think they can do better with their finances than God can. So they use their own financial plan. God says for the wife to respect her husband and for the husband to love his wife and for the children to obey their parents. But families think they can do better with their own plan. 
And what's amazing is when things fall apart financially or when things fall apart in a family, the first person that gets blamed is God. Because people think that their half-hearted following of God's plan is all it should take for God to show up and make everything perfect. Or better yet, what a lot of people do is they forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Ah, my family's falling apart and I came to church. God, why didn't you show up? I came after everything fell apart. It takes faith. It takes faith to trust God and to lean not unto your own understanding. It takes faith to believe that a life lived at the house of God is the best course for your life. It takes faith to do that. It takes faith to trust God with your finances, to give what is owed to Him. It takes faith to trust God's blueprint for the home and then to execute it. It takes faith to completely trust in Him and in His ways. Get this, Hebrews 11.30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. Doesn't say it was the shout. Doesn't say it was the trumpets. The Bible tells us why the walls came down. Wasn't because Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. It was by faith. This means they trusted God's plan. They trusted God's word. They didn't march around the city going, man, this is the dumbest plan I've ever heard of. This is never going to work. I can't believe i got to walk around this city every day. I could be at home watching the game. No, they walked around the city as God had instructed by faith. Are you facing a battle tonight? Are you going through something insurmountable? Did God lead you to it? Are you trusting God's plan? Are you following His ways by faith? Don't blame God if you're not doing what He has instructed for you to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for the word. Thank you for this simple thought. But help everyone here tonight that's in a battle. Help those that don't know what the next step is just to go to you in prayer and to wait until you show up and get your direction. To not lean on their own understanding, but to trust that your ways are greater than ours. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. Lord, help that one tonight, I pray. And for Jesus' sake, amen.